This is a parable about Frank Simmons. He was committed to doing whatever it took to be successful in his life. The reason being is he grew up in a very poor family. And he figured, man, when I become an adult man, I'm going to earn a lot of money. I'm going to be successful in the world's eyes. And so even in high school, when they were doing the future careers testing, you know, he was debating, should he go into the medical field? Because, you know, he figured they make a lot of money, but he really didn't care about caring about people. So he kind of put that on hold. And then as he was going through the list, he ended up, um, you know what, I'm going to dial in on being a stockbroker. They make a lot of money. And so that's that's what he targeted, and that's what he became. He got married his senior year in college. He st- soon started a family. He started working 14 hours a day, seven days a week. When he uh, was home, he found himself preoccupied with his work and uh, checking on the state of all of his investments. Then he began his own company, and his occupation became his preoccupation. Uh, he became known as one of the best market timers in the business world. He seemed to have a knack for knowing when a stock was going to drop and the stocks that were going to jump. And so he started earning a great reputation in the business world. He was the guy that you needed to get in touch with. And so his wife began asking him over time if they could go out, just the two of them. She said it would really be nice, and she tried to remind him on how the kids were growing up so quick. They had Little League games, they had music recitals to attend, and Frank's statement would always be, yeah, just let me get caught up, next week should work, and of course next week never came around. He was always catching up, it seemed, and uh, before long, his wife, the kids, stopped asking the husband, Frank, the father, hey, can you come to my game? Can you come to my recital? They figured uh, they knew where they stood. So Frank would occasionally go to church with his family. He thought it would be good for his clients, a few of his clients that attended that church, to see him. But most of the time, his family went without him. By the time Frank was 40 years old, he described himself as a success financially. And uh, he would check his stock usually 20 times a day, and he watched his fortune grow. One weekend, Frank decided to take his wife out for a special time, and he told her the big news. This is what he said. By this time next year, I'll take the company public. We'll be set for life. We'll have everything we could ever want in this world. She didn't say it out loud, but Frank's wife thought to herself, for Frank, there will never be enough. A few days later, Frank was at his office working. He uh, finished the day late, went out to the office parking lot, and collapsed. Later, after they said that he was dead, did an autopsy and found that he had a brain aneurysm. And um, that was a big, big news in the financial circles that Frank Simmons was gone. 
His life was the American dream. He had it all, he thought, in the palm of his hand. But while he was being remembered on earth for being such a huge success in the financial world, we know that Frank one day will stand before his creator and give an account of his life. And it turns out, it will turn out that after all of his accomplish, accomplishments financially, uh, God's not going to be too impressed by it all. And friend, I don't know what's the priority in your world right now, but the wake-up call is this, that one, you were created by God. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for your sin debt and mine. So that when we realize that we need to be forgiven of our sins, we can put our trust in Jesus because he is who he said he was, the savior of the world. And when we do that, our sins are forgiven and we have a guarantee of going to heaven to be with Jesus, not only, not just for a weekend, but forever and ever. That's what, that's what God wants. And so, One day, each one of us will stand before God and give an account of our life. You've heard me say this before. um, There's a place that I don't look forward to going uh, every four months, and that's the dentist office. And and they send me texts, and they send me cards, and they remind me because they know if if it was up to me, I wouldn't go. (laughs) But I want to keep my teeth, you see? I want to keep them, man. And so I do it anyway. And for some of us, we may think, you know what? I'm not going to make that appointment with God one day. Well, yes, you will. You can't get away from it. There's an accountability factor for each one of us. And the cool thing is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear that encounter with God. You know, like the dentist. You can, you can know that you can stand before your Redeemer, your Savior, that loves you so much. And he's going to welcome you into his kingdom, into heaven, forever and ever. Let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We'll see how Frank Simmons plays out in this text. Starting at verse 13, Paul writes, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, even so you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for the word of God that we get to read. Lord, how you have given us these letters 
these writings to apply to our lives. And as we heard already with the Gideons, how people can read the Bible and realize they need Jesus to be the difference maker in their lives. That's cool, Lord. That is so cool. And we'd love to see that happen here today as well. For those that maybe be here, that are here that don't want to be here, for those that are watching under duress, Lord, as you speak to them, as you tap them on the shoulder and remind them of your great love, we pray ultimately they'll put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last week we uh, kind of hit this topic pretty heavy. It's uh, number two in your notes. Um, you can see the one and two are already filled in. One, live to trust God's power. We've hit that pretty good. That I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Um, it's not a generic uh, statement, but it applies to those who are followers of Jesus Christ that, that God will give us the strength we need to follow after him. Two, live to give in the chaos. We kind of went offline here uh, from Philippians and John 14, 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. The fact of the matter is we realize that in this world we're having trouble. And some of you may be experiencing that trouble in very personal ways right now. And that's the cool thing that The Bible does not sanitize itself, but it is filled with life problems. And sometimes people respond in a positive way, and sometimes they go off the rails, so to speak. And it's to give you and I a picture that each of us have the power to choose to receive Christ or reject him. But we know going all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, Against God, sin was blown into this planet. Sickness, disease, pain, suffering, it's all there. Why? Because of one sin. So we live in a broken world. That's why bad things happen. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have a question mark maybe in the back of your mind all the way till you get to heaven. And it's there that you'll find the answer. Some of you will have to trust God through it all. But he's faithful. So, picking it up, we live to give in the chaos. David Jeremiah writes, A cashless society, microchipping people, is this what the prophets were talking about when they described a future in which those who may buy and sell will have to bear a particular mark? That being the mark of the beast, simply means it's a chip that the one world government will place on your hand or your forehead to buy, to sell. He says it's getting harder to sort this all out when so many signs are appearing in the financial world. Greed and materialism are ever-present. Perhaps all this feels ominous to you. That's natural. After all, we're exploring future events that will be terrible in their scope and significance. Not only that, but we can already see the outer waves of the coming storm. Technology already exists that make, will make it possible for the economic and religious union summed up by the mark of the beast. 
Addiction to money is a legitimate problem in many cultures around the world, but we can be aware of these trends without being seized with alarm, and that's where we're going today. You don't have to panic. Fear is not our only option. As a follower of Christ, you are a child of God. You are a chosen member of his kingdom. You are his disciple, and you are his friend. We sang about that a little bit ago. Uh, I need the lyrics right now to sing it. But um, anyway, there's a million ways, right? A million ways, names, reasons. <laughs> I'm lost in the desert, man. Um, but it's a good song, man. It, it was it was it was a great song. Yeah. So you're part of that family. And, and because of that, uh, as we heard from Ken, man, as a follower of Christ, we, we are on a dedicated mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. And let our light of Christ shine bright through us. So, as believers, we must face these things with biblical insight and a measured tone while keeping our eyes wide open. To all that is happening around us, we must focus on Christ and trust in Him. The financial world will get more chaotic as we approach the end of the age. But remember this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody put it this way, you can take the world, but give me Jesus. It's good, huh? It's good. Man. Thank you, Lord. May that become real to each one of us. And so, um, yeah, we see that happening right before our eyes in our country around the world. Money, um, there's a battle for that right now. And it's, it's moving towards a one-world government where a leader will come on the world and say, we're going to solve all the financial problems from around the world. Just put me in control, and I'll make your life better. And people will be open to that and embrace that. So just be aware, and that's why it's important to read your Bible. You know, your Bible's like a, a newspaper every single day. And um, it gives us insight, pulls back the curtain into the future. So we keep our eyes on the Lord. So number three, live to give for others. So live to trust God's power, live to give in the chaos, live to give for others, verses 14 and 16. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty, Paul writes. He's writing to the church at Philippi. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I was first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent more help than once. So what's Paul doing? He's kind of like a cheerleader. Remember, he's under house arrest for two years, chained to a Roman guard with a chain this long. This chain stays on Paul 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 18 inches. That's as far as he could get away from this Roman guard. This morning, maybe you're chained to something That's controlling your life, that it's keeping you away from Christ. Man, I want to encourage you 
Put your trust in Jesus. Let him break the chains and set you free. That's what he wants to do. But Paul was arrested because he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, here he is, chained to a Roman guard, and what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the church back in Philippi, 800 miles away, and he says, you've done well. It's like he's applauding them. It'd be kind of hard to clap your hands with that chain on him, but symbolically he was doing it. Emotionally he was doing it. He was shouting on the inside, celebrating the fact of the faithfulness of the church of Philippi, supporting him financially over the years. You have done well. We, we, <laughs> some of the dudes around here would say, you done good, man. You done good, right? Yeah. So... Giving, and of course we can do it with a high five. Boom, high five. You've done good. Giving to mission, to ministry, is evidence that you're participating in the fellowship of the gospel. I mean, we've heard already from Gideon's, that's a way we can partner, you know, is to give financially. And get those Bibles out where they need to go. And so Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's good. So when we, what we do with our resources, really, it's kind of like a window into our soul. You know, if you pull back the curtain, the question is, what does God see in our souls? You know, when we're talking about our finances, Paul uses that word um, in verse 14, even so you have done well, you know, he's applauding them, to what? To share with me. That word share means to be a partner together with others. It means to share something common with another who partnered with you. So Paul is saying by them, the church of Philippi, sending a financial gift, they were partners with Paul wherever he went when he taught the Bible. So let's take a look at that map. Um, Here we are. So Paul's in Rome, Philippi over here, and he's talking about Thessalonica, and he'll be talking about Corinth. But uh, check it out all the way over here. We have Jerusalem, Israel. You got the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea right here. So that was the world back then. And Paul was, he was fired up over it, you know? You're you're sharing with me where I go to present the gospel. You're my partner. You're my partner. Why? Because you send the finances that I need to keep going. Putting gas in the tank, food on the table. Bibles to buy, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, slide, my, my present difficulty. So after sharing, he says, my present difficulty... What's Paul's present difficulty? Notice, even though he's chained to a, to a Roman guard, that's his present difficulty. That means um, oppressing, oppressing together, pressure, distress, oppression. Even though Paul is sensing this present difficulty that he's under, he would love to get outside these walls and continue traveling, planting churches, teaching about Jesus Christ, but he's locked down. 
And he knows that's where God has him for this time. Today, you might be under a present difficulty. It's a present difficulty. And if you had your way, you would like to get rid of it. A word of encouragement is found in Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. So whatever you're going through with this present difficulty, the Lord delights in every detail. Not just the big issues, but he's going after, he's drilling down to those little things that maybe you think don't matter. They're not big enough for him to worry about or be concerned about. No, he delights in every detail of their lives. So Paul had been to Philippi 10 years earlier. And what's cool is that the church remembered 10 years previous what Paul and Silas went through to present the gospel to plant this church. They didn't forget about them. In Acts 16.25, it tells the story of Paul and Silas going to Philippi. Around midnight, they had been arrested. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And you can read the rest of chapter 16 to find out exactly what happened because uh, they were escorted out of town by the authorities to avoid any further disturbance in Philippi. And evidently, these believers back in Philippi never forgot the cost that Paul and Silas paid, you know, in planting that church. How grateful they were and appreciative that they came to their city and told them. And so when Paul traveled on to Thessalonica and to Berea, to Athens, to Corinth, the church at Philippi continued sending finances to keep him going. And here's the deal. The Philippian church was not wealthy. It was poor. It was poverty-stricken. And yet they were generous. Paul says, you gave to me when nobody else did, and it encouraged me so much. And I was thinking about this. Did you ever receive a gift that encouraged you? You know, you kind of do a flashback, you know, on your life. Was there some time when somebody gave you a gift that really jumps out to the front of your head? Yeah, I was thinking about about 20 years ago, somebody in this church gave Debbie and I a gift that was so appreciative for. Man, we, we were in need at the time. And somebody out of the blue gave us a gift. And what that did for us at that time, so grateful, so thankful. And you know what? That's how it is, being part of the body of Christ. That's what Paul's writing about. Paul had experienced really so much trouble in presenting the gospel. It seemed wherever he went, people wanted to hurt him. And they wanted to kill him. They wanted to put him in prison. And yet he kept going. And he was so grateful for the funds that came from Philippi. You remembered me 10 years ago, man. You know, I was there. And you're still funding the ministry. So that's his heart. And you can take a look at Zacchaeus, our good friend, Back in Luke 19, 
Uh, you know, Zacchaeus was a lot like Frank Simmons. He really was. He was all about the money. He was all about being successful in the world's eyes. And in Luke 19, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord after Jesus had come to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with him. And sitting around listening to Jesus teach and hear the heart of Christ, Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus. And so Zacchaeus said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, which we know he did, (laughs) I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. You see, generosity is a sign of a regenerated heart, a heart that's been renewed, forgiven by the great love of Jesus Christ. And so Paul kept good records of when people gave to him, because he uses an accounting term here in verse 15. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help. That's an accounting term. When I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia, no other church did this. So Paul is preaching the gospel wherever he goes. And he's sending, really, it's a thank you note back to the church at Philippi. So when we participate in giving to different ministries, to the local church, we're participating in expanding God's kingdom. That's what we're doing. We're expanding God's kingdom. In Philippians 1.5, Paul wrote, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So Paul's fired up, remember, and he's saying, you church, man, you've made it possible. You're part, you've partnered with me wherever I go. Second, you model the character of Christ. When we give, we model the character of Jesus. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth and went to a cross and died. And on the third day, he rose again. He left heaven perfect environment to come to this world where it's broken and where the Pharisees constantly harassed him wherever he went. So the Philippians, yes, they had this reputation of being generous. And and Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says in chapter 8, verse 1 and 5, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, which include Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. They are being tested by many troubles. There's that word again, trouble. And they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. Isn't that cool? They're poor, but they're filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. No pressure, you know. We're not going to teepee your house tonight if you don't give to Paul's ministry. You know, the church didn't have that reputation in Philippi. So they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And even they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. That's good. And we read about this church at Philippi. 
2,000 years later, and, it's, and it has the reputation of being generous. And you think about um, Life Church. What's our legacy going to be, you know, 2,000 years from now? You ever think about that? But I can tell you that as a church, we give at least 10% of our general fund to missions. Usually it's above that. But that's, that's, a, that, that's something that we want to do. You know, we don't want to keep all the money to ourselves. We want to give it out and be part of that building the kingdom of God and have a legacy that we can leave behind. So God gives to us, and we're blessed because we're blessed. We see the goodness of God. We want to give. That's the church at Philippi. They wanted to give. So God never intended you... F- <laughs> to grunt and groan as you put your money in those boxes on the walls over there. Ah. No, that's not what it's about, man. He wants you to be joyful about your giving. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians 9, we see that you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Yeah, it's fun to give. It really is. It's fun to give. Uh, You know, Christmas is coming up. And I remember when I was a little dude. I was little once. And I remember a picture that my my parents got me, this cowboy uh, deal. I had a hat and a vest and I had a holster with a play gun and the boots and I thought I was so cool. It was so cool. And I remember one year I opened up a box and it was a fire truck. You know, as a kid, you, you kind of live for opening those gifts that are given to you. But isn't it true when you're an adult, it's so much more fun to see those gifts open that you had given to family members? That's where you get fired up. That's what it's all about. And that's what... That's what God wants us, to have that same attitude. Man, it is so much fun to give, to be generous. And so, um, Craig Groeschel, who pastors Life Church out in Oklahoma City, wrote the book, The Christian Atheist. And in there he writes, Some days the Christian atheist in me forgets what's important. And I think all of us can identify with this. I focus on my job, on the people around me, the tasks I have to accomplish, the physical things my family needs. I have to first get really quiet, then give my total attention to God. I pray, worship Him, thank Him, and ask Him for direction. I read his words in the Bible to hear him speak to me. When I don't remain focused on the things that are important to him, my heart drifts toward the things of this world instead. Do you ever find that to be true? Yeah. Yeah, we do. More and bigger, better, faster, most of all to my own selfish desires. But when I stay close to my God and Savior, the temporary things in this world don't seem so shiny anymore. Because God is more than enough. 
Putting Jesus first brings a strange contentedness. People who lost everything they have saved for a lifetime in the stock market can tell you just how uncertain wealth is. But God not only wants to provide for us, he wants us to enjoy it. When we learn to trust God alone, he is the one who provides us with what matters and lasts. Suddenly the earthly possessions that once gripped us don't hold us like they used to. Instead of seeing what we have as belonging to us, we see it as available to God for his use and glory. And you get to play a really cool part in that story. Friends, you know, God knows our hearts. He knows what we think. He knows our attitudes. How cool it is in this battle of being a Christian atheist where we trust our money more than we trust God to die to that, to say, Lord, help me be more generous today and in the future. Lord, if I am stingy, if I'm holding it, it's mine. Lord, help me to have an open hand to give freely, joyfully, to model your heart. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We recognize that our world is changing so quickly that even the financial world is, is challenging right now, Lord. But we know that you are a God who is generous. You are a God that we can put our trust in because everything we have comes from you. And so this morning, we admit to you, there are times when we feel like a Christian atheist, man. We, we, we want what we want, and we want it now. So forgive us, Lord, if we get off track and lose perspective. And help us to put our eyes on you, Jesus. That's what's most important. Because when we spend time with you and read your word, you help us with our priorities. And so thank you for this good news that Paul wrote to us in 2022. May we obey it. May we apply it. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ. Today, right now, you can start a new relationship. That's why God sent his son Jesus to come on that first Christmas. To grow up as a man, to go to the cross, to pay for your sin, my sin. Taking our place. Jesus raised his hand and said, I'll take your place. I'll be your substitute. And he did it willingly. He carried your sin, my sin. He was buried for three days and exploded out of that grave. He beat death, sin. And this morning you can say, Jesus, you took my place. I'm putting my trust in you. So thank you for loving me that much. And I will follow you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a heads up, on the LifeChurchMH.com webpage, there's a link that says Next Steps.
And when you click onto that, um, you'll scroll down and it'll say, put your faith in Jesus. And there's two videos that will pop up that you can look at that will explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ with clarity. And so if you want more information, that's a place you can go. And it's easy to access. And if you have any more questions about putting your faith in Christ, we'd love to connect with you. So Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that we can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.